The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Tonight, uh, the title of our Bible study is 12 Ordinary Men, and I wish I could tell you that I came up with that on my own, but there was uh, a book by Pastor John MacArthur about the 12 apostles, and so that's really where the title came from. So we'll be in Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, we'll be in verses 13 through 19, and our takeaway tonight is the God who calls you also sends you. The God who calls you, the God who has, who has come to you and called you to be with him after our time with him or spending time with him, he then sends us out to others. And I'm, rem- I'm reminded of a former student of mine uh, when I was a youth pastor, he, he came through the program, we developed a close relationship, and then he would, he would go to college. Uh, we were in Fallbrook, he would end up in college in Arkansas, uh, John Brown University, and after he graduated, he, he, he got a hold of me and he says, you know, Danny, I've become a part of this ministry, it's called Royal Family King's, King's Camp, and he says, what we do is we go into a community, and we provide summer camp for, for children who are in the foster care system. And he said, it's, it's very, it's very uh, interesting and fruitful. He said, um, the children come for free. There's no charge. They'll stay for a week. The ratio of the counselors for the students is one to one. They're continually with each other through the course of the week. So some of the students, obviously the children have tragic stories, he says, but we see a transformation take place. He says, you know, Danny, the, the first time I went to observe, not to participate in, but to observe the camp, I noticed that all the, the counselors were there, they were all excited as the buses began to pull in, and he said the kids were looking through the windows, not quite sure to expect, as you can imagine, of what they've experienced through the course of their lives. He says, slowly the kids would grab their things and move off the bus, and there each student was greeted by his or her counselor. He says, and then something very unusual happened. He said, from time to time there would be a child that once they got off the bus, they would run. They would run as fast as they could. They would run as far as they could. And he said, I turned to, I turned to one of the, the directors and I said, you know, what's going on here? And he said, we see this from time to time and basically what's happening is this child is running to see if somebody will come to get them. Because you see, through the course of their life, there has been nobody who will come to get them. And Jacob told me, Danny, probably the most profound things is that as the... As the Counselors would run after the child and spend some time with them. They would thankfully come back to the camp with them. And this is the kicker. He said many of the counselors had been children who participated in the program when they were young. Jesus calls us to be with him. And then when we're with him, he sends us back out to tell others about him. Don't you ever forget that he is the God who came to be with you. He is the God that chases after us, whether we think we're going to run away and do this or run away and do that. He pursues you in love. 
And you need to know tonight that as, as you have experienced salvation, as you have experienced redemption, he comes to be with us so that we might remember those who are out there by themselves and we might go to be with them. The God who calls you will also send you. One of the things I want you to know tonight before we get into our Bible study is, is that there were those who when Jesus came and he worked his miracles and he taught with profound truth and he delivered individuals from the oppression of de demons, is that there were some who in the face of all of this rejected him. They understood his claim. There was no, don't, don't be confused about that. They clearly understood his claiming, claims to be Messiah, and yet they rejected him. All four Gospels plainly tell us that within Israel's religious system at this time, there were those who understood who Jesus was, and yet they refused to believe in him. In fact, they viewed Jesus as a threat. They saw his kingdom. Remember, we've talked several times in our times together that Jesus was initiating the kingdom of God in first century Israel. He was bringing God's kingdom to earth. Wherever he was, wherever he engaged anybody, he was bringing God's kingdom. But they viewed him as a threat to their positions of influence within the religious system. Think that they had, these religious leaders had a delicate balance of power with the Roman government, which would, be, which would be vulnerable should the people follow Jesus as king. This coupled with Jesus' growing popularity, and then time and time again, he would engage the religious system and point out its corruption. He, he would speak to the common people of, 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 what, of what the religious system teaches you, observe, but in the way they behave, don't follow their example. This fueled a movement within the Pharisees in particular to kill or to murder Jesus. History reveals that Jesus' followers, that is his disciples, that is those who would follow after him would experience the same hostility. Tonight, Mark records a list of men selected by Jesus to be apostles. I, I think you're familiar with the word apostle, and we would understand it within the, the biblical context that an apostle is, is, is one of those that, that followed after Jesus, and then after he would ascend, would carry his ministry through into the Roman world. The title is important. These were men who were trained and then sent to continue Jesus' ministry. They were, probably if we were to grab a word or an idea from the day in which we live, they would be ambassadors to God's rule on earth, representatives. When they spoke, they spoke not their own words, not their own message. They spoke the message and the words of God. And so then the authority wasn't in and of themselves, as it, authority is not in you and I. The authority comes directly from God. You know, sometimes people, you know, they quibble a little bit about authority. And I heard this illustration, you know, you come up on an intersection, not around here in other communities, and the lights are out, right? The, the traffic lights are out, and you'll, you'll see in the center of the intersection an individual, perhaps with a uniform and maybe a badge, and 
When this law enforcement uh, officer holds up his hand, the traffic stops. And when he gives them the motion to come forward, you know, then they, they slowly pass through the intersection. Now, the individual, this, this person, this, this guy or this gal, doesn't have the power in and of themselves to stop the automobiles. But you better know that behind his badge is the authority of the state of California or the community in which they serve. Well, in the same way, these individuals, they had an authority that was given to them by God. And with, with all of their strengths, I'm sure, and all of their weaknesses, they had a confidence that when they spoke the word of God, that the responsibility to carry out whatever it was wasn't upon them, but was upon Jesus. These are common men, common men advancing God's rule on this planet. I, I think you and I would have a great appreciation of these men once we consider that they themselves would write Holy Scripture, that some of the books that we look at in the New Testament are the product of these men. And listen, they write through their own personalities. They write with their own language. It's, it's interesting how Luke uses a, a, a classical Greek and, and how John's Koine Greek is very common. And yet both men communicate the Word of God. And the reason I say that is because each one of us is different. Different life experience. Maybe some of us, uh, I know my personality is a little more timid. I'm, I, I really am not an upfront kind of guy. There are people who come over and take my pulse to make sure that I'm still alive from time to time. And then you'll meet other people who are, who are, who are passionate and confident. But the point is, is that God uses each one of us. Remember, he called us to be with him so that the expression of God in you might go out into this world. God calls us to be with him. It's also important to note that the apostles were a work in progress. That is, they grew or they matured in their faith over time. These same scriptures that highlight them also reveal the, their failures. Yeah, very interesting to you. That's, that's actually one of the things, not the only thing for sure. That's one of the things that gives me so much confidence in God's word, that it reveals the failures of its heroes. There's a transparency. There's an honesty that I greatly appreciate it, especially if somebody was going to write my story, they would probably have more failures to write about than successes. But this also, too, reminds you and I that our faith is a work in progress. Your faith and my faith. That, that the, we, are, we haven't come to the end. That from the beginning to the end, God will be working in us and through us in spite of our weaknesses. But there will be a day where he will, he will bring us to completion. This um, last summer, beginning of summer, actually... Uh, it was wrapping up my grandson. He's in Phoenix, and he's playing baseball. Now, you need to understand... As a matter of fact, if you, don't have, if you don't have a Kleenex, you can reach for one now. I was obviously raised in a Hispanic home. I know, surprise to some of you, but I had three sisters, no brothers. I had an older sister, Joyce, and two younger sisters, and I had, was the only young fella in my family. Then Wanda and I got married at the age of 19, and we had two daughters, no sons. And then up to about seven years ago, maybe eight, this December will be eight, eight years ago, I had three granddaughters, no grandsons. 
And so when my daughter told me, Dad, I'm expecting, I'm going, oh, Jesus, please. Well, he came. His name is Teague. And my daughter told me, you know, he's doing really good at baseball, and he'd like you to come out to Phoenix and to watch his game. And we didn't get in on the last game, but almost the last game. And and, and, and I'm watching him out there, and he's, you know, he's, he's, he's got it down. I mean, he's, he has, you know, the, the tapping of the bat and resting on his shoulder. I mean, he has it down. But, but the joy in my heart was him. The, the joy in my heart was, was watching him engage in the game. And, and I noticed that as he went to bat or, as it, you know, they rotate the kids around on the field, as they rotate him around, he'd look over to where I was to see if I was paying attention. And he didn't hit a home run. He got a base hit. Didn't home, he, he caught a line drive. And, you know, all this deserves ice cream of some kind, especially in Phoenix, right? But the idea is that someone I love and cared about, whether he was good or bad, was secondary. He was in the game. And I want you to know here tonight that whether we strike out or whether we hit the home run, whether we catch the ball or whether we drop it, listen, God's eyes are on you. God's eyes are on you and he is with you in this thing we call life. I'm afraid that too many Christians don't try simply because they believe that they'll fail. But you have a spectator in heaven who's watching you and his heart is for you. One thing before we begin, Jesus selected these men after spending the night in prayer. It won't be obvious in Mark's gospel as we get into it, but we'll lean heavily upon another Luke's account to see this. This speaks to the significance of their appointment. And, and, and I'll cover this in a couple of minutes, but I'm not there yet. But based on the criteria required for Judas Iscariot's replacement in Acts chapter 1, I do not believe that we have apostles today equal to the 12. Now, I know even as I say that, some of you may disagree with me, and I respectfully, I respectfully understand that there are different positions on this. But again, my point will be, my point will be that when it came time to replace Judas, that there was a, there was a, a standard or a, a required, uh, I use the word criteria. I want to read to you because the 12 are referenced. Remember, we're talking about the 12 apostles. That if we were in some churches, their images and stained glass would be represented around us. And, and, and the, the, the depiction would be glorious. It would be encouraging. But when it comes to the 12, and I'm going to only give you a handful of verses here, I'm going to read to you from Mark chapter 4, verse 10, because it specifically calls them the 12. It says, And when he was alone, that is Jesus, those around him, with the 12, asked him about the parables. That is, they asked for, for him to explain the parables. But notice that the 12 is highlighted. Mark chapter 6, verse 7. And he called the twelve again and began to send them out two by two. So six groups, two by two, and gave them authority over unclean or demonic spirits. And then Mark 14, verse 10, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray Jesus. 
And so my position is, and you're more than welcome to disagree with it, but my position is that, and I'll get into this a little more, describing this a little bit more, is that these men are unique. And yes, Judas Iscariot is one of the 12, which I, I don't know if you were here this weekend. I thought Pastor Greg Opine did a great job at explaining uh, some of the tension in the kingdom of God. But nevertheless, I want you to keep in mind, too, the Bible names other apostles. Barnabas is called an apostle in Acts chapter 13. Barnabas, remember, the son of encouragement. Titus in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 23, and Epaphroditus in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. Now, I would, if we and I were to sit down and have a cup of coffee, you have coffee, I'll have tea, decaffeinated hot tea, mint if you're going to buy, but if we're going to simply discuss this, I would even separate the 12 from these apostles. Why? Because Jesus went up on a mountain and he prayed all through the night, and then when he came down, he selected them, listen, out of his disciples, he selected these 12 men. Some might ask, Danny, do we have apostles today? The word apostle literally means one who is sent on behalf of another. Remember, I said earlier that an, the idea of a modern-day ambassador is not unlike the idea behind an apostle. Apostle means one sent, a representative of another. They're representatives of Jesus. So then today we have people sent by the church, by the congregation, maybe by their finances, by the leadership. We have an individual who comes to the church, a member of the church, expresses a desire to go to another country or area of the world. Missionaries. Missionaries would fit the idea of being sent by a congregation. You look at Acts chapter 13, the church at Antioch. Yeah, Antioch. They were, Paul and Barnabas were sent. And I have friends who have been missionaries over the years. And the one thing that they long for is connection with a church, with a body. And um, that's because I believe there's supposed to be a connection, as well as financial and prayerful support. So then I believe missionaries... Their ministry and their calling is apostolic in nature, again, by definition of the word. I also believe that there are leaders who might fit the role of being apostolic. For probably the closest to us, and there are many, the closest to us would be Pastor Chuck Smith, who would have the, this, this influx of young people through the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, these young people who would come and they would spend time in his congregation, they would take on responsibilities, and then somebody from another part of the United States or the world would, would reach out to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and Pastor Chuck would commission these men and their families and maybe a team of individuals and would send them out. I believe that he was, even though he would never call himself an apostle, I believe he was apostolic in his ministry. And again, I want, to con I want you to understand this. There is a connection between the missionary and the leadership of the church as well as the church. All this to say once more that the 12 that we are considering tonight were unique in more ways than one. They were imperfect men trained and commissioned by Jesus and then sent out. 
Mark's quick-moving narrative now transitioned from the crowds. If you were here last week, you remember the the crowds that I said numbered close to 10,000 people. The significance of the number is incredible. But we move away from the crowds of people to Jesus withdrawing to a mountain. When Mark tells us that Jesus went up the mountain, that's what he's going to tell us here in a couple of minutes, prior to calling the 12, it highlights the importance. It highlights their importance. And I'm going to take a little side road here. I want to talk about the significance of mountains within the scriptures. I believe from the opening chapters, we are introduced to a garden. You know it as Eden. There was a church a number of years ago, and they had, a, they had like a buffet after church. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know. It was when salads were popular. I know salads are still popular, but they were more popular then. Uh, without kale or whatever. But anyways, you know. And they called it the Garden of Eaton. Not the Garden of Eden. I don't know why I remember that. But, but anyways, I want to talk about mountains. Because Jesus is going up to the top of a mountain. Mountains represent a theme throughout the scriptures. Remember that Eden was on a mountain. I'm going to share with you a couple of verses to support this. In Genesis chapter 2, obviously, the, first, the opening chapters of the Bible, verse 10, it says, A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, that was where Adam and Eve were, where the animals were, and there it divided to become four rivers that would go down from the mountain and go out into various lands or what would become countries. I want to read to you now from Ezekiel 28, the beginning part of verse 13. God is now speaking to the prophet, to Lucifer, a fallen angel. When he says, again, this is in the form of a lament, you were in Eden, the garden of God. And then in verse 14, listen to this. You were an anointed guardian cherub that is prior to his fall. I placed you, you were on the holy mountain of God, and in the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. I want to remind you tonight, I know you're a well-taught group this evening, that Abraham offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah, Genesis chapter 22, that Moses met with God on Mount Sinai, We're told that the burning bush was not too far away from this mountain as earlier as Moses was shepherding his father-in-law Jethro's sheep that he encountered the burning bush in Deuteronomy chapter 34. But keep in the back of your mind that the burning bush was near Sinai, that connection. Also, we know that Moses being allowed to see the land of promise from Mount Nebo, but he wasn't able to enter the land that he too would be buried by God on Mount Nebo. Early church leaders, as early as the uh, the 3rd century, I'm sorry, believed that Jesus was transfigured or glorified on Mount Tabor. Jerusalem itself is located on a mountain called Zion, which is the same ridge, if you follow it, as to where we believe Abraham offered Isaac and Jesus was crucified. And lastly, uh, regarding mountains, I want to read to you from the book of Hebrews, where the writer tells us that the new Jerusalem will be on a mountain. That is, a new future Jerusalem that will come down from heaven from God to us. From Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion. Again, this is spiritually speaking. They hadn't come literally, but spiritually speaking, we have come to Mount Zion. 
and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. If you look to the screen, we have Revelation chapter 21, verse 10, where it says, And he, one of the seven angels, carried me, John, away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. So then Jesus spends an entire night in prayer. He comes down from the mountain. His disciples have gathered, and out of the, out of the disciples, he calls 12 men. Listen to me. 12 men he called to be with him for the purpose of sending them. I want to talk a little bit about sending. We talked about missionaries. We talked about churches, sending pastors out to plant churches. We talk about God sending you. Where has God sent you? Well, I believe that God sends us to our families. And God sends us to our place of employment. I heard one pastor say, our work is our worship. But Danny, it's tough to work where I work. Danny, my work is very challenging. It's very hard. Our work is our worship. I'll talk a little bit more about this. But you are sent. Well, you and I might not be apostles as the original 12. But we have been saved, we have been redeemed, and we have been sent. In a couple of minutes, I'll talk a little bit more, I'll dig into that a little bit more. So here we have on the screen the Galilean ministry called to be with Jesus, verses 13 through 15. And he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him, called to him, drew to him, as he has called to you those who he desired. Interesting terminology to me. God desired these men. Jesus wanted them. He wanted them to be with him. Let's just say for three years. He wanted them. He didn't necessarily recruit them. His heart desired for them to be with him. And I think in no less way does God's heart desire for you to be with him. Danny, how does this happen? I don't know how it happens for other people. I'm a simple man. But it happens when I get up early in the morning and I pray. I respond to his call. When I get up early in the morning and I sing quietly, right? I get up long before my wife does, so I want to be sensitive to her. But when I sing, I'm responding to his presence. When I get up in the morning and I crack open the Bible, I'm in the book of Job right now. It's an incredible story. I'm in his presence. And then don't tell anybody, but I take these little communion things home and I observe communion by myself. But listen, that is my way of being with him. And that is my way of having my heart transformed and changed. Now I understand, I have very close friends who when they meet with God, they they see things and they hear things. I don't. But that that doesn't mean that I've not met with him any less than they. And I celebrate their experience. But my experience is a little quieter. A little more, little more, listen. It's a little different. And here's the deal. Your experience is going to be different than mine and then one another's. Listen, your experience is going to be different, but no less significant. My friends, hear me. 
no less significant in what it will accomplish in your life, and that is the change and the transformation. A sense of assurance that regardless of what happens in this world, he is with you. Please hear what I'm saying. And that you have something to say to somebody else. As a matter of fact, this is my theory, that it's, it is what we say. We do talk, tell people about Jesus, but it's also the witness is the change and the transformation in our lives. That when they see that something real has happened to you, whether you verbalize it or not, they observe that you are changed. You will not un- be unlike James and John, Peter and John, as they stood before the Sanhedrin, and the only thing the Sanhedrin can say is they knew that they were unlearned men, uneducated individuals, but what? They had been with Jesus. My friend, that might be your witness tomorrow at work. That might be your witness this week with your spouse or with your children. Oftentimes people come into my office and they say, well, yeah, I'm, with my, I'm with my friend, I'm with my kids, I'm with my spouse, and I, I've told them about Jesus, and they're just not into it. And I say, That's, I go, do they know that you love Jesus? Yes, absolutely. Do they know? Have you articulated the gospel to them? Yeah, yeah, yes, that's true. They go to church with me sometimes. I go, well, then, if they know what you're going to say, then just live it out in front of them. That comes to our neighbors, comes to our coworkers. Let Jesus do his work as he shines through you. And earlier, I, I referenced a church where there would be stained glass with the apostles. All I'm asking you is to let Jesus shine through you. Let him shine through you, because I believe in my heart of hearts that since man was created to know God, that there is a hunger for God, even though he attempts to satisfy it. In so many different ways, my friends, you are the stained glass. He is the light shining through you. And they came to him. Verse 14, and he appointed 12, in parentheses in the ESV, English Standard Version, it says, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. These are those whom he desired. These are the people Jesus wants. So on this team is rather diverse. I I, I don't know if you work with groups of people. Um, People are great. People are interesting. People step on your toes. I I am like should not dance with anybody. I only dance with my wife and on rare occasions because I will unintentionally step on her toes. Uh, She tries to lead. I try to lead. It's better just to kind of, you know, give it this kind of thing and, you know, social distance. I think that would be really good for me, especially during during dancing. But if if you are going to engage with people in the church or outside of the church, they will step on your toes. I, I, I like a particular kind of shoe. It comes out of my days in construction. It's called Red Wings. And they have safety toes. That is steel toes, safety toes. If you're going to work with people, wear safety toes, but work with people. You know why? Because Christianity was made, was created, and it only works in relationships. It only works in relationships. Okay, let's go ahead and get, get our way through this. So there were fishermen, tax collector, who, worked for, who had, had previously worked for Rome, and then a zealot who uh, fought against Rome. So you can imagine there were some interesting times. 
Luke is helpful here when he tells us in Luke 16, verse 12, in these days he went out, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve. Earlier I had referenced Acts chapter 1, where after Jesus had ascended and the disciples were praying, anticipating the day of Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit, Peter speaking in Acts 1 verse 21 says, So one of the men... This is Peter's words. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord, Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from, his baptism, from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must, be, must become with us a witness to the resurrection. And so this is his job description for the individual that they would choose to replace Judas Iscariot. And, and there's reference here to one of the Psalms. This is, has a biblical foundation for sure. I want to move on from this. And I want to talk about why there were 12. Because it is important. The calling of the 12 represents God's judgment on Israel's religious system. I started in my introduction talking about the religious leaders who had rejected Jesus. The religious leaders who at this time were already planning to have him murder already planning to have him killed. He was always out, just outside of their grasp by his design, but this is what was in their hearts. And so I believe that an aspect of the 12 apostles is judgment coming to this religious system. God is seeking men to lead the church, so something new is coming. There is the new wine. There is the new garment. There is the church that at this point in time is unknown to the disciples, but it's coming. And these men will help lead the church. From a human perspective, they are not, these men are not good candidates to lead. They, none of them had position or pedigree. But still, Danny, why 12? In Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, I believe it gives us a hint when it says, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So then we know that there's 12 because it corresponds with these 12 tribes. And I want you to see the connection between the future reign of Christ and the still existence of 12 tribes of Israel. You see, my friends, God is not done with Israel. He has made a promise, and he will keep it. Made a promise to Abraham, and he will keep that promise. And if he's made a promise to Abraham, and he's made a promise to you, he will keep it. In fact, in Revelation chapter 21, if we're looking out into the future, the 12 foundations of the wall around the New Jerusalem will have the names of the 12 apostles upon them, speaking of their significance. Now, that's a glorious sight, a consideration. When you look and see who they are, they're like us. They're exactly like us, and yet they are so highly esteemed. In verse 14, it says, So that they may be with him, and he might send them out to preach. They were called to be with Jesus so that he might, in time, with his authority, send them into the world. 
Scatter them like seed uh, on soil, fertile soil. He's going to send them into the world. And, and what will they have? What will they have? They will have the presence of the Holy Spirit just like you and I have. They will have the empowering, the clothing with power. He told them to go to Jerusalem and they would be robed or clothed with the power of God just the way you and I are. They would have the teaching of the scriptures. They would have that personal experience of knowing what it is like to be born again, to be saved, to be redeemed. They would certainly have persecution. And yet they would fearlessly these very common, ordinary men would take the gospel around the known world. And my friends, their effort is being seen in the world today. And you and I, in a sense, are byproducts of their effort. It's amazing to me. Jesus starts with these, these guys that want to call down fire from heaven and, 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 and Peter, you know, and all of his, his weak, and God uses them. And, and, and if you're waiting to become perfect or you're waiting to know the Bible in its totality, I think that's a great thing to, to desire to do. But if, if that's what you're waiting for, he wants to send you now. He wants to use you now. It was uh, many years ago, again, when I was a youth pastor, I had these, these the couple of junior high girls and uh, they were at a, a middle school. I, think, I don't even think it was middle school. It was uh, junior high in Fallbrook. And, and they came to me and they said, uh, uh, no, actually, I'll tell you what happened. Oh, my gosh, I forgot. So they came from different churches in Fallbrook, different youth groups. And um, they ate lunch together. And they noticed that there was one little girl, um, and she was from another country. She certainly dressed very plainly. Her, her, you know, the other kids teased her because they said she looked like a boy, and, and all this was going on. And so they noticed that as soon as, as soon as the class ended, that she would take off for the library. And so they would eat lunch together, and they would begin to talk about her. I remember her name, but I'm not going to use it tonight. And they went in the library, and they said, you can come and have lunch with us. And um, so through the course of the year, they found out that, you know, that she came to school on time, but she had to leave immediately after. And her parents had a restaurant in Fallbrook, and so she spent her time after school working in the restaurant. You know, she's still you know, making her way along with the language, and obviously, culturally, she was very much, you know, not Fallbrook. And Fallbrook's, you know, cutting edge when it comes to, you know, clothing and all of that. Right, Stephanie? <laughs> and so at the end of the school year I'm, I'm digging through these cards and, and, I'm, and I read one that this little girl wrote to my daughter unbeknownst to Wanda and I this group of kids from these different churches had collected some money so they could buy a Bible in the native language of this little girl We're sent into the world to invite people to eat lunch with us, to develop a relationship, listen, to hear their story, and certainly to articulate the gospel in some way, but to show them Jesus. And the 12 men that we're going to read a list of names from here in just a second were sent into the world 
would obviously many of them would surrender their lives, right? But out of their life and ministry and even out of their death came the church. My friends, he has called us to be with him so that we might be sent into this world. You may not be a missionary. You may not go plant a church. But the power, same power that raised Jesus from the dead is actively working in you. On the screen, John Piper says, God calls some so powerfully that their hearts and minds are changed about Jesus Christ and they embrace him in faith and love. Two on the screen, called to be more by Jesus. And he appointed the twelve, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James. These are the two fishermen to whom he gave the name uh, Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, Matthew, and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and then this guy's always at the end, Judas Iscariot, with a little side note, who betrayed him. We're done. On these lists, Peter's always first. The man who could say nothing right at the right time would become the spokesman for the church. Remember the day of Pentecost. The list includes some nicknames. If you have a nickname, that's good. There's also a list that is found in Matthew chapter 10, here in Mark, and also in Luke chapter 6. John's gospel does not present us with a complete list, but mentions the apostles throughout his account. Acts chapter 1.13 also has a list. James, the brother of Jesus, is called an apostle in Acts chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15 and Galatians 1. Paul is also called an apostle in Acts chapter 14, verses 4, verses 14, 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians 15, and Barnabas is called an apostle in Acts chapter 14. Peter, the name Peter is Greek for the Aramaic name Cephas. James and John, as we told, are fishermen. They're brothers like Peter and, and Andrew. Peter, James, and John were present when Jesus was transfigured, glorified, they were with him when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Peter and John were at the empty tomb and the healing of the man at the beautiful gate. In Acts chapter 12, we're told that James was the first of the apostles to be killed. And Judas is the only non-Galilean. The one who was called by him later would betray him. And in his betrayal, we're told by the gospel writers that Satan filled his heart to accomplish the betrayal of Christ. I, I'm done. But if you will be called to him and you will be sent by him, there will be times that because you care, your heart will be broken by those who reject him. Called by him, sent by him, a broken heart. Because, listen, let me tell you the only reason why. Because you love like him. Because you love like him, your heart is broken by those who reject him. We know so little about James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot. We know that Philip was a disciple of John the Baptist in John 1, and, we're told and he's the one who told Nathaniel about Jesus. 
We also know that he was a bit of a, an accountant because he calculated how much money it would take to feed the 5,000. Look one more time to the screen, and we're done. The worship team will come out, and I will pray. This week, I want you to think about being called to be with Jesus. Remember praying. Not long, not hours. Think about praying. You're changed. Think about worshiping. If Danny Ramos can sing, you can sing. Think about stealing a communion cup. No, don't do that. But, but just think about observing communion on your own in your own home. Think about being with him. And as you're with him, your, your heart becomes like his heart. And then he will send you to an individual. He will send you to a family. He will send you. And the gospel of Jesus Christ will go. Join me in a word of prayer, will you? So, Heavenly Father, not unlike children who come off of a bus, not knowing where to go, not knowing what to do, looking in our rearview mirror of our lives and seeing heartbreak and, and, and pain and and. We run. We hit the ground and we run. We run because we're afraid. We run because we're hurting. We run. But you are the God who chases after us. You are the God, who, not unlike the shepherd who pursues the one lost sheep, the woman who looks for the lost coin, or the father that studies the horizon in anticipation of a son who is as, just as good as dead. And yet, all of heaven experience a joy that resonates from the heart of God when that son comes home. Oh, my friends tonight who are with us online or on Solomon's porch or here in the sanctuary, he is pursuing you. He is coming after you. He is calling your name. He is running after you, not to condemn you or to judge you, but to embrace you and to hold you. And when your heart is healed, you will have developed an eye to see in the crowd someone who was just like you, and he will send you to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.